Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Despite the pandemic, it was a busy year for Port Hope Council. Mayor Bob Sanderson is quick to outline the various challenges and successes. He points to plans for a new senior centre. Then there is the ongoing remediation project chugging along. But there are also some hurdles. A member of council was subject to an investigation by the Integrity Commissioner. And the town is trying to tackle economic development plus affordable housing. Here is Mayor Bob Sanderson. Port Hope Mayor Bob Sanderson, welcome back to Consider This. Thank you, Robert. It's a pleasure to see you and we're already well into 2022. I'd like to start by asking you, if you were to characterize the past year at Port Hope Council, how would you describe it? Well, it's interesting. I probably would describe it as, you know, uh, a challenge uh, for sure, but uh, a challenge that we we met very successfully. And I I think out of that challenge, uh, I I feel we've gained strength. Uh, I think we've grown together as a community. I think we work together uh, as council uh, very well in support of the community that is evident in our budget. And I think we've um, got, a, got a very good uh, consolidated senior management team. The outcome of which to, to me is, you know, this, this is all a team effort um, and it's not just council and it's not just staff, it's our residents. Uh, I would say Port Hope is, is at a good spot, yeah. You said earlier that you faced a challenge. Can you describe what you see as the challenges that you faced over the past year? Well, I think the challenges of being in municipal office and for council, you know, is is always there. Look, meeting the needs of the residents, responding to the service requirements, and and I think the challenge really has been the fact that COVID has been a, a complicating factor and has had an impact, not on Port Hope, but I, I would honestly say it's been everywhere. So, I'd like to start by talking about the budget. Council approved a 4.2% increase in its town budget. Now, some say that is pretty high compared to other municipal budgets this year. What are taxpayers getting that justifies such an increase? Well, first of all, let me comment on inflation generally. So when you look at that increase in a a budget, um, it's delivering a a lot of value within that. Um, It looks like inflation is running, you know, 4.5 4.5 to 5%, which is historically high. And, and that's the regular inflation, you know, that we kind of measure. Uh, but when you look at municipal costs and services, that inflation rate is probably closer to, you know, maybe 9% or 9.5%. So any project you do, the costs uh, are, are not sitting in, in the normal you know, realm of uh, uh, things. What I really liked about our, our budget is that we, we did listen to um, kind of our residents in, in many cases. Um, I would also comment 
that our budget this year, regardless of what the level is at, was a unanimously supported budget by all of councillors. And, and we took that as an agenda. We wanted to make sure that, and certainly as, as leading that process to some degree, that this was a budget that everybody was okay with. Everybody had to give and take a little bit, you know, here and there. And so the priorities of council became unified. A couple of kind of unique areas that, that did come out of it. Um, certainly the, the service levels are, are good, but uh, as an example, Roseland Road, you know, council shifted the priority over to Roseland from uh, Victoria Street. Victoria Street was uh, infrastructure, you know, and, and so is Roseland Road, but there's more safety concerns on, on Roseland Road for, for pedestrians. Also, I, I think the action, um, you know, for creating a, you know, a, a climate action plan was, was pretty um, positive you know, from, from our, our perspective. When we do the budget, and I've always said this, if your budget doesn't support your strategic plan, you know, then you don't have a good budget. Our, our budget is very supportive of our strategic goals and the strategic plan to me is, is a long-term view of where this municipality's going. It, it's not a one-year plan. It's not a, one of this council and the next council will change it. It's a living document. So I think across the board, you know, and, and I think we have put out some, some information on the budget itself as to what is delivering, but I think 4.2 came in extremely uh, well uh, and is delivering uh, above its weight, I guess, if you wanna really uh, put it that way. And I think the strategic priorities and the way staff is uh, organizing, um, I. I would defend that budget uh, to anybody and look anybody in the eye and say, you, you're getting really good value here. One of the historic concerns uh, by residents has been the distinction between rural residents and those living in the town. And uh, when you look at the budget, sometimes there uh, is comments that it's not equitable to both, both those areas. Where do you see it being balanced off that rural residents are getting good value for the taxes that they pay? First off, I, I would dispute the statement. Um, you know, generally, uh, I, I think it is very equitable. In fact, it you know uh, has a lot of benefits for the rural area, the agricultural uh, components. Um, rural roads really were deteriorated, you know, over a long period of time, and certainly when the amalgamation occurred, you know, that was very apparent. Um, our budget now has almost tripled what we're doing in the maintenance of uh, rural roads. If you also look at the number of bridges and the other requirements and the zoning and the you know development opportunities that are in the rural area it, it, it's very balanced All right so the area that uh, i think we look forward to when 10 years ago there was an inequity where the rural areas tax base you know was about a million dollars out of line with what it should have been so rather than um, kind of adjust that quickly it, it's a 10-year window to kind of get that uh, adjustment back again. It's a little bit difficult to explain, but basically the rural area had a million dollar benefit that it shouldn't have had from taxes and now has to you know, be, be sort of balanced out again. We're getting to the end of that, but that has a very significant impact when you look at the what you think is the tax rate for the rural area say, versus the, the urban area. I think we have about two more years on that and it wasn't you know, this council or even the previous one, that was a negotiation between, you know, uh, the rural, you know, component and the urban component, strictly financial and totally supported. I will be 
probably one of the happiest person to see that go away. Because then I think you do have, you know, uh, comparing apples uh, to apples. The other area that uh, is impacted and has a significant advantage for the rural area and taxpayers is the $10 million, you know, that's in LLRW um, funds, right? And so the urban area had $10 million and the rural area had $10 million. And in the rural area uh, and coming to this council, and, and it was driven by myself, is a bylaw where that has to be applied after everything else to the tax base for the rural area. Now, when you look at $10 million revenues right now, it kind of sucks to tell you the truth. There's not a good return on investment, but it's still fairly decent. And that investment is shared by, you know, say 4,000 people. Whereas in the urban areas, it's, it's shared by, you know, eight or 11, eight or 9,000 uh, people. So really the value, you know, of that uh, is, is high. The urban area also, the, that fund, a couple of years ago, we did form a CIP, a community improvement plan. A couple of years ago, we, we put all the funds that the urban area had into that CIP. And if you think about it, that CIP now, it had three applications this year, and it certainly was the, one of the reasons the Ganaraska Brewery you know, was able to, to forge ahead. That is a tax base value, and that tax base is across the municipality. So that investment actually didn't just benefit the urban area, it benefits all taxpayers. So I, I have lots of reasons to, to sort of dispute, you know, the, the fact that it's inequitable. Um, it always will, you know, have components that may or may not be given how the, the swing, you know, goes. Uh, what if a bridge is needed, you know, in the rural area? They're pretty expensive, you know, and, and it won't be paid just by the rural residents. It'll be paid for, you know, by all the residents of the municipality. And I really think we've come a long way. I, I don't get the, um, haven't had for a long time, you know, that input of, you know, the rural area, you know, have, having, you know, a, a background, you know, of, uh, you know, we're being taken advantage, of, et cetera. We did a lot of work to, to go through, you know, special services. And that leaves too, you know, the, the police uh, is a, a divided budget. So certainly the rural area is only paying for what the rural area needs from OPP, very bit unusual for a municipality of two police forces, but we do. And uh, so anyway, bottom line is, I, I'm happy to have that <laughs> debate at, at any point in time. And I think I can uh, comfortably say it, it, it's an equitable situation throughout the municipality. Just for listeners who may not be uh, familiar with the jargon, a, a CIP is a community improvement plan. Is that correct? It's uh, uh, that some correct. finances that uh, people can apply for to do improvements on buildings and, and infrastructure and that kind of thing to encourage business and, and that sort of thing. Am I correct in that? You're absolutely uh, correct. And there's application processes and then there's a decision you know, made. Um, and, and generally it, it sort of improves the building. But as an example, with a business such as the Ganaraska Brewery, which we really you know, worked uh, well with and our staff worked well with them and with them as well, there was a significant uh, tax incremental difference and it was it was a barrier so we uh, assisted them you know in a 10-year program to to mitigate uh, the taxes where they in fact you know are, are comfortable so it, it's not that they're getting reduced taxes it just means that from our cip plan you know we're contributing you know to to make it uh, a little bit more viable that comes about it's kind of interesting because the tax uh, kind of uh, allocation and categorization 
they're they're categorized in a different category than commercial, right? They're they're kind of a manufacturing, and the whole you know craft brewery industry, in my opinion, should be loving the government to at least prorate part of its commercial, part of its uh, industrial, and those those tax rates. I think, as you know, are are significantly different than residential rates or agricultural rates. So there's a discrepancy, uh, but the CIP, your description is 100% accurate. Uh, but it does require that it be funded. And, and again, in our budget this year, we uh, added $100,000 into the CIP. We, we see the return on investment that we get. It's not always immediate, but over a period of time, you're, you're getting three or four times you know, value back. In the budget, uh, there is an allocation for a new senior center. Now, why is the town putting aside $1.3 million towards this? What is so important about doing that project right now? Well, that project has been a priority as long as I've been in office and, and we had trouble getting you know, government funding for it. It started with the Ruth Clark Center, which is a you know, older building down by the railroad track, down by, by the river. And our senior citizens have been using it for, for their social activities and you know, our staff uh, sort of maintains it, what have you. And, and it's been very deficient for an extended period of time. So <laughs> last year we were finally successful and, and it doesn't just happen by the way. You know, I can show you uh, letters and communications to ministers that are moving up the ladder, both in the provincial and federal area. Uh, to get the funding. In, in fact, it's, it's later than it should be, um, probably by at least one or two years, because the uh, funding was a little bit slow in coming. The, the provincial funding was identified earlier than the federal, but we can't do anything until both you know, identify it as a, as a project. Uh, the amount of budget we have against that building is probably going to be uh, less than what we need. And we know that because it's been delayed. As I said, the construction costs are going up about 9%. So our plan, our budget, our submission uh, technically is uh, a little bit out of date. Internally, when we discuss it, because it's a, it's a you know, kind of multi-generational component we're adding to the rec center, it's not just you know, a senior center. Then you know, we, we decided uh, clearly, we're gonna forge ahead with the plan we have. And if the budget uh, is a little bit uh, light, you know, in the end, we're, we're not going to like shrink the building or cut corners or, or do that sort of thing. It's probably one of the more exciting projects from my perspective. It, uh, it really builds on community value. And I, I think it also clearly identifies that as we move forward, the need is going to increase, not decrease. I also think the location is, is extremely good. Uh, we can have transit there and what have you. And I, that was a controversial area within seniors. Probably half the seniors wanted to stay where they were and half wanted to move. Probably all of them didn't really want to go where we're, we're going to put it. But that's Port Hope at its finest. <laughs> in your press release for the budget, you point towards investments in affordable housing. Can yeah. you describe this initiative and how it's going to help resolve the issue around affordable housing in Port Hope? Well, yeah, I guess a couple of things in, in affordable housing. First off, municipalities don't generally get involved with it. That's a kind of a county um, jurisdiction. We, we decided that we needed to be stronger advocates of affordable housing in the municipality itself. We put some funding behind it and there's some um, discussions that we're having now that I, I can't honestly share with you, but we, we fully uh, hope and expect that we can you know, actually uh, contribute 
you know, to get affordable housing you know, within the municipality. So two things it achieves. One, which is reality, can we, we assist in, in doing that? And, and secondly, it makes it loud and clear that this is a priority, even within the, the county to the uh, pro provincial government, uh, et cetera. So it, it's early stages for our involvement. Um, and I don't know that we will be building uh, affordable housing from a municipal perspective, but I certainly think that the strategic uh, direction and, and certainly the focus on affordable housing is, is very high, probably in our top three. Well, you do sit at the county council table though. And uh, I know we're talking about local and county, but what are you doing at the county level as an advocate to get more affordable housing into Port Hope? Well, you know, again, I, I think it's not just Port Hope, it's a county issue. The county has very strong uh, social programs, I, I believe, and in fact, have a lot of affordable housing. So they know that we'd like a focus on Port Hope and certainly from a land acquisition and uh, attention, Port Hope you know, probably has a bit of a priority um, and the county will you know, continue. And, and when we want to do something, we will be working closely with the county and the Northumberland Housing uh, uh, Commission. So er early a little bit for us to be stepping up from a municipal perspective. But as I said, it does two things. It focuses on the fact that we do recognize that we need to be involved, that it's a priority, and we are functionally uh, having some budget to, to move it forward. Some of it also in our, um, you know, we're doing a zoning review, right? And in that zoning review, that's a, that's a key component. You know, how, how can we expand the ability for people to have apartments or, or second suites, uh, you know, that sort of stuff. So it, it, it's not just building houses, you know, or building uh, condos or apartments. It's working with developers. It's trying to make the zoning uh, applicable so we can, we can do it. So there's a, a lot of things I think go on with it. Uh, I'm happy we have some budget on it because, as I said, if we, I mean, we're not going to build with that budget, but by the same token, it does allow us to um, you know, kind of focus on affordable housing as a priority. Uh, late last year, Council approved a recommendation to hire a consultant to prepare an economic development strategy for Port Hope. Now, you have the Heritage Business District, you have the local Chamber of Commerce, and a committee of council dedicated to economic development. Why is this strategic report necessary? Because we don't have one. Right? It's simply stated, if you look at a municipal you know, economic development, you need a strategy. Whereas right now, we'll, we'll do piecemeal. We'll get this business or that business. But, um, and certainly with COVID, I, I think it warrants it even more. You know, where, you know, I've always said Port Hope needs to stay Port Hope, but you, you can't stay in the you know, background all the time. So where are the prime opportunities that fit with our strategic plan to increase our, our tax base? Uh, and I think, you know, where I suspect most, you know, communities you know, of our size anyway, should have, you know, a strategic plan, you know, an, an economic. We also changed our, our community uh, development um, department, you know, to, to planning and development. So, so we are, I think, acknowledging, recognizing where we put, need to put our, our resources. And, and it, I guess, Robert, it, it's like having a business plan, right? You can open a business and, and the the municipality, it's a corporation. We are a business, right? Yeah, we don't have a strategic good business plan to know where we should be uh, identifying uh, maybe resources or, or support. Uh, there may be areas, filming might be a prime example. 
we get a fair bit of filming in Port Hope. We're trying to work on, on a policy. So is the, uh, so is Northumberland. Um, we're having a hotel built. If we'd had a strategic plan in place, I, I think we would have known we need a hotel and we do. And we probably would then go out looking for somebody instead of waiting here till you know, people knock on our door. I, I do really, I, I'm very supportive of it, by the way, if you can't tell. <laughs> yeah. Back in September of last year, there was a report from the Integrity Commissioner to Council regarding the behavior of one of the councillors on social media towards a resident. Could you briefly describe what was alleged to have happened and what lessons council members took from this incident in regards to their participation on social media? Um, I probably can't answer that um, because you know, that's an independent process with an integrity commissioner. Anybody can bring sort of anything forward. And I guess I speak with, for a lot of elected officials. It, it very often is a one-way street. <laughs> right? So somebody might get upset with the councillor uh, might have an agenda, might not you know, like something about them, they, they can fully come forward to the integrity commissioner. The integrity commissioner, which is um, a legislative requirement in which we have gone through that process, allows any you know, member of the public or another member of council you know, to bring facts forward and, and make an um, independent um, you know, consultation and, and decision about whether the complaints are valid or not. And that report does come to council, did come to council, and the integrity commissioner clearly identified there was absolutely you know, no wrongdoing, no nothing at all. Now, I think that's hard on any councillor, you know, at any point in time, but obviously we're, we're very happy, you know, that that was the, the outcome, but it had nothing to do with me as mayor, it had nothing to do with any of the other councillors. It's strictly between the resident going to the integrity commissioner, which is absolutely okay, and then the integrity commissioner you know, checking all the uh, requirements. And as I said, they can do two things. They can kind of say it's frivolous and not spend a lot of money on it right away, or they delve into it you know, and, and have a good look. Um, and in this case, of course, we, we did get um, a report from the integrity commissioner that you know, clearly indicated you know, this was not something that uh, needed to come forward. The danger always, I mean, I don't go on social media quite a bit um, for a couple of reasons. First off, I really don't have time. Um, but the other part is, I think it can influence you, you know, as if, if you have a lot of people, you know, complaining about me as mayor or saying I'm doing this or doing that, the, the tendency is two things. One is to weigh in, maybe, you know, kind of defend yourself or say something. And, and the other is just to kind of, you know, be hurt, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, and, and I think the social media needs to have some responsibility too. I also feel that from what I heard, from uh, social media generally, was that there was a lot of support and and you know the um, having counsel and even myself with other counselors as um, kind of in the social area where there can can be comment positive or negative has really I've I've seen a or heard uh, that it, it's a lot better than it used to be you know where Port Hope's a little calmer I, I think our residents are. And I, again, because I don't see it, I'm only giving you secondhand, but some residents come to the defense, you know, of, you know, counselors or staff or, or other components and, and they don't like fuel the fire. And so I guess that was my question too, is, is, you know, you talk amongst yourselves as counselors. I mean, I mean, did it get anybody gun shy or did, did counselors start to say to themselves, well, listen, this is maybe something we should be doing or not doing. 
I, I wanted to get a sense of, you know, did it have some okay. impact on how you engage with the community? I can expand on that. Absolutely not. Um, there wasn't even discussion that I'm aware of, you know, with uh, counselors. I had none. Right? And, and counselors don't they? I think my uh, what I said earlier was probably what everybody feels. And I, I know other municipalities, other counselors, the county, everybody's subject to the whim of anybody on you know social media. Where where it can go if if it continues is I don't know when it becomes harassment. Right. I mean, it can be something that you as a counselor or you, know, you, you need some ability to respond. But I, I don't know anybody who kind of does it on social media. So somebody says something bad about one of our counselors. I'm not aware they kind of fire back. Um, I, I, I think we take our hits and we know that's part of the job. As, as long as it doesn't transcend a certain level where it becomes like a threat or harassment, we kind of find it better to just keep doing our job. The woods at Penryn Park were a bone of contention for the municipality over the past year when a developer threatened to clear cut the area. I also noticed council recently added a tree protection bylaw uh, to its uh, legislation. Is this coming too little too late or is it right on time? No, well, two two things. First off, um, the development that Mason Homes is doing with Aon had uh, an approval that was long before these councils, right? And that approval was for development of that woodlot, which would meant that the you know, woodlot would be cleared and, and homes would go there, specifically fairly high density in townhomes. When the residents, the local, and the, the social climate does change, as you know, Robert. So what was good 20 years ago might not be you know, what is socially accepted now. I can also say that with respect to the PHAI project. The legal agreement is 20 years old. Well, the social structure has changed and, and maybe we would like to see things different. I think that applies to the woodlot. Um, is it the greatest woodlot in the world? I have no idea. You have arborists who say it's great, others who say it's not. Totally independent of that, the developer has every right to clear cut that and put homes up. But I think working with the staff and with council and understanding the sensitivity within the municipality, they agree to... Um, kind of decouple part of the development so they could still build houses without jeopardizing the woodlot. That woodlot still is something that's going to be under discussion and probably will go to uh, LPAT at some point in time or may do. Um, there have been suggestions by the uh, developer. They have a 13 acre wooded area that's uh, environmentally protected. So it's not that they could build it and they can't, but they can't. But they're willing to turn that over to the municipality as well. So I don't know where it'll end up, um, but I, I think myself and council have been very uh, staunch in listening to our residents and trying to negotiate a, a settlement where that would not uh, can, can be maintained. So not, not ideal. Um, and if we could change the development from 20 years ago or 15 when it's been approved, I mean, the council at the time approved, our planning department approved it, the, the provincial government approved it. So uh, how, how can you come along now and say, well, it's private property, but we don't want you to do that. We don't want you to do that. But, you know, how, how can we, you know, negotiate this? Yeah. You mentioned it already, and I'd like to go back to it, is the, the remediation project. Yeah. Um, 
Give us uh, an update as to where you are now with the remediation project. I noticed that at uh, the end of this year, there's been some uh, tinkering with uh, your own internal structures as to how you're dealing with the remediation project. And as you said, it's, it's a long-term agreement. So where are we at right now? I'm glad you brought it up. And I, I, you're also kind of um, putting information out there have been some significant changes. So I'll take it in two steps. First off, there's been a lot accomplished by the remediation. <clears throat> so the uh, waterworks east, the the uh, sorry, the 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 west area, the west beach, the and it's called waterworks. That has been totally remediated, and it it was a very uh, challenging project because of water levels and what have you. That should be returned to the municipality with a, a record of site. And the other one was where the firefighters museum was on, on Mill Street. That's a large property. And it's been totally remediated and, and now uh, can also be returned to the municipality with a record of, uh, of site. So there's been some major work done. The storage cells, the uh, haul routes, you know, uh, some of the other uh, larger areas we're getting our uh, industrial sites uh, cleaned up. So on the bigger picture, there's a lot being done. On the smaller picture, the small scale sites, small scale sites are kind of your backyard. Uh, they, that has been very challenging for them because they, uh, the agreement of 20 years ago described levels that were required to be you know, achieved in remediation. And one of them was arsenic. Arsenic uh, was at 18 parts per million. Well, some of the background arsenic within municipalities is above that 23 or so. So in, in some ways that was something that, well, I don't know even we can achieve it. And if we have to achieve it in your backyard, we might be there a year trying to keep digging and digging and digging until we you know, finally say, okay, we, we chased it. They call it chasing arsenic um, you know, long enough. And now we can you know, get your property back to, to what, where you can use it. So the small scale sites have been very uh, difficult and um, CNL and uh, AECL have made application to the federal government through the uh, CNSC, which is the uh, regulatory body to see if that uh, those levels can be changed. Um, the municipality has also recognized that if the current requirements have to be met, we, we could have an environmental impact that's strongly negative. I, we could lose up to 50,000 trees. That's the number that's being put out there. We, we don't want that. Um, we don't think that's, that's a, a good outcome you know, for the, the viability and the health of, of the municipality. So we've been working on that a lot. And uh, to your other point, uh, there have been a lot of changes at CNL and AECL in the management teams. I think that's brought fresh um, blood, so to speak, you know, to, to the program. Uh, we have made modifications within the municipality, and I, I got to give credit to our staff and our, our CAO, David Smith. Uh, I'm involved in a lot of that, but, you know, I, I don't kind of always make that decision that that comes about. We, we have... Um, changed significantly our uh, municipal peer review team. So we had a team that was specifically dealing with CNL and AECL. They would give their reports, they would have their you know, disputes and, and questions, and then it would come either to council or our staff. Now we've incorporated the whole process into our staff. So it's, it's part of our business now day to day. And I truly feel uncomfortable, and it's been two years of a lot of discussion, that now we're on a path where we have a, um, identified a, a joint goal. Um, we negotiate well 
uh, not controversial. I mean, there are controversial things, but not antagonistic. And, and everybody's trying to find the best solution to a problem when it comes up. So I think the next year, and, and already, um, the way I'm seeing huge improvements in, in the consideration when uh, we talk to CNL or AECL, when they talk to us, they're, they're seeing a, a higher level of you know, teamwork, I guess. So I, I think it's a very significant change. It's taken almost two years to get there. Um, but that, that's how you learn, you know, if, if you uh, adapt. And it's a very important project. Quite frankly, we'd like them out of town as fast as we can get them out of town. And I think they'd kind of feel the same way. Like, here's your hat and what's your hurry? But, uh, but it's, it, it, it really is, is at a good, good spot. Um, and I, I say the people we're working with now, we have regular meetings, at least I do and David Smith does, with senior management. And, and, and it's, it's such an improvement just in you know, kind of looking for solutions, mutual agreement, that kind of thing. What can we expect from council in the upcoming year? Well, I'm always surprised. So, but I, I really, uh, given that we, well, first off, it is an election. We, we all know that. And to me, it absolutely makes no difference. I, I think it's business as, as normal. Um, I, they're, they're necessary uh, good and evil things, I suppose, about them. But I, I hope that, like, the primary thing I hope is that we can get back together physically as council because we miss that, right? We, we, we don't have the same ability to have dialogue and, and relationships and interaction, you know, as, as we can otherwise. So that would be one. Secondly, I expect um, the council will be, continue to be very focused on the community activities. Uh, they'll be very supportive of uh, a few things we have in the hopper that are going to be, you know, coming out uh, to, to, you know, the public and, and to really Im- improve the municipality. And, and it's been a great council, Robert. Um, you know, it, it, it's been very cohesive, um, very community orientated, uh, good dialogue, you know, disputes, not, not bad ones, just, you know, that's what you should be doing as you challenge each other and, and some of the, the stuff that comes forward. So, to answer that question, I, I expect to continue business as normal, but that business is very uh, efficient, focused, you know, and supportive of our, our strategic plan uh, as we move forward. Um, so I, I, I think we have a great council, and uh, regardless of the election, I know we'll have another good council. So, If there's one takeaway for you personally from the past year in council, what would it be? Um, probably satisfaction that we're on the right path and that we're moving forward um, with, with the goals that are for the municipality. So I, I mean, enjoying seeing this come to fruition. Uh, it, it, I don't know, maybe it's like building a boat, you know, when you finally put the varnish on it, you kind of go, wow, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. I, I think Port Hope's in a, in a really good uh, spot and I, I'm really, um, very supportive and, and very complimentary to our senior staff and our structure now and, and the support and direction that, that council is giving. So it, I don't want to say it's an easy job, but it, I don't feel anything other than, you know, good, good feelings and satisfaction, how, you know, things are in the municipality. There's so much different than seven years ago. And, and people have commented on that as well. So I don't want to just put it into one year, because it, I, I'm glad we got through last year. I, I think it really uh, has come out with a lot of good things. We, we are very uh, more collaborative with the HBIA, with the chamber, 
with, with our, our businesses and our residents, like, even though the doors are locked, I, I'm feeling we're kind of a more cohesive municipality perhaps than, than uh, we were. So I don't know if that answers the question because it's, it's a hard thing to say. You know, I, I always feel good by the way. So, you know, last, last year was, uh, was, you know, in many ways, such a good year. Yeah. And this year is going to be just crackerjack. Are you planning to run in the upcoming municipal election? I can't answer that for you because <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't intend to even make that decision or think about it too much until, you know, I need to. Um, right now, I'm very much focused on, on moving uh, forward. Um, this is seven years now, and I kind of am, I, I guess, a little bit satisfied or proud, you know, of where we've gone, knowing that. I don't take all the credit for that, by, by the way, just, but it does require leadership and there's a lot of work that goes on be, behind the scenes. So I fully expect, uh, regardless, that we have a good strategic plan, we have good senior management. And I, I think, you know, when things are really calm and, and fairly good, I, I do have a concern that we don't get the involvement from the public, you know, in an election and it'll follow a provincial election. So I, I, I hope people, really come forward and, and, and vote knowing that it, it's important and that it might be important to keep it this way or, or whatever. But it, I don't know. I, I probably said enough about the election. <laughs> Mayor Sanderson, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. You, uh, you do a great job and, and the job that you and others do is, is very important, particularly now. So thank you. Thank you. That was Port Hope Mayor Bob Sanderson. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening, and stay tuned for more from Consider This.